Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day number 27 of the Bible in 90 Days. We are in 2 Kings 5 through 15. Before beginning today's highlights, I want to make an important observation. When you read the stories of the kings, you'll often see it noted that additional records of the king's actions are kept and can be referred to for added details. Unfortunately, those detailed records are no longer available. Chapter 5, by the way, a story you must read is the story of Naaman, a valiant Aramean war commander who comes down with the dreaded leprosy. In some Bible translations, by the way, the country is referred to as Syria, not Aram. Well, back to the story. During one of the Aramean raids on Israel, a young girl is taken captive. The young girl advises that the prophet in Samaria can heal Naaman. Arrangements are made, and the king of Aram sends a letter to the king of Israel with his request for Naaman's healing. The king freaks out, but Elisha hears about it and asks to see the man. When the man arrives, Elisha's messenger passes on this instruction, and I quote, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Naaman is incensed. But finally, his men persuade him that it can't hurt to try, so he does, and he's healed. Returning to Elisha, he declares, Now I know, and I'm quoting, that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. When Naaman offers gifts, Elisha turns them down. Then Naaman makes a surprising request. Let me take some dirt with me. Believing that Elisha's God is a territorial God, he wishes to worship on Israelite soil, the God of Israel, even back in Aram. So Naaman heads home. By the way, taking dirt with him. I believe it was two donkey loads. There's one final twist in the story. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, is desperate to have some of the gifts Naaman had offered. And Elisha had refused. A fabricated story later, fabricated, by the way, by Gehazi. And he, Gehazi, has two bags of silver and two changes of new clothing for himself. However, when he meets prophet Elisha, Elisha is not happy. The prophet sternly rebukes Gehazi, his servant, and then sentences him. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. And in that moment, Gehazi became as white as snow. Chapter 6 has three major stories. It is a fascinating chapter, well worth reading. The first of those stories is of a floating axe head. The second of Elisha blinding the Aramean army and the third of a terrible famine in Samaria. I'll summarize each briefly. The first story, a company of prophets makes plans to build a larger school. And while cutting timber for the project, the axe head of one student's borrowed tool flies off and disappears into the muddy Jordan River. Elisha throws a stick in and the axe head floats to the surface for retrieval. The second story, the king of Aram is tired of his military plans being constantly foiled because someone's sharing military secrets with the king of Israel. He's told it's Elisha and sends a contingent of soldiers to Dothan to arrest him. The next morning, Elisha and his servant awake to the sight of the Aramean military surrounding the city. The servant is terrified, but the prophet replies, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then asks God to open the servant's eyes to see the angelic armies in the hills. 
The story ends with God striking the army with blindness and Elisha leading them into the city of Samaria where the king of Israel feeds them and then sends them home to Aram. The bands of the Aramean raiders stop raiding. The third story, a terrible famine hits Samaria. It's so bad the people resort to eating seed pods and donkey heads, and they're quite expensive. And then a woman tells the king about eating a child. You heard that, a child. When the king hears this, he blames Elisha and vows to kill him. The story continues in chapter 7 with Elisha telling the king, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. That night, four lepers venture outside the city walls, determined it's better to try surrendering to the Arameans rather than certainly die in the city. When they arrive in the Aramean camp, however, there's not a person in sight, although everything else is there. The lepers revel in the plunder and then realize they must spread the good news. Needless to say, the Aramean army had fled for no apparent reason, and now the residents of Samaria have abundant supplies for the taking. Chapter 8 finds us hearing about the Shunammite woman again. Her story, by the way, is initially in 2 Kings chapter 4, near the end of the previous episode. Elisha had told her to leave the country for seven years because a great famine was coming. When she returns, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, is instrumental in helping her get her property and other things back, including missed income from the land. Next, we find Elisha in Damascus, the capital of Aram, whose king Ben-Hadad is ill. While there, he encounters Haziel a servant of the king, and informs him that the king will die and that he, Haziel, will be the next king of Aram and a vicious king to boot. The next day, Haziel assassinates his master, a king Ben-Hadad. The last half of the chapter turns briefly to Judah, informing us of two kings. First, Jehoram, who reigns in Judah for eight years, does evil like the kings of Israel, and marries one of Ahab's daughters. Yet, for David's sake, God preserves the kingdom of Judah for the time being. During his reign, both Edom and Libna rebel. He dies, and his son Ahaziah succeeds him. Ahaziah reigns in Judah for one year and is just 22 years old at the time. His mother is Athaliah, a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. Ahaziah does evil because he is related to the house of Ahab and follows Ahab's example. Ahaziah joins Joram, king of Israel, in a battle against Haziel and the Arameans, and Joram is wounded. Sometime after the battle, Ahaziah, again, remember, king of Judah, goes to visit Joram, king of Israel, as he's convalescing in Jezreel. In chapter 9, we discover that while Joram and Ahaziah are meeting up in Israel, Elisha instructs a prophet to anoint Jehu, a commander in the Israelite army, as the next king of Israel instructing him specifically, and I quote, to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, especially on account of Jezebel's killing of the prophets. That day, Jehu is declared king by his fellow officers. The rest of the chapter reports Jehu beginning to carry out his mission. First, Joram is killed and his body thrown on the field of Naboth, who, you'll remember, had been killed by Jezebel's subterfuge so that her husband Ahab could have his field or his vineyard. 
Next, Ahaziah, king of Judah, is wounded and soon dies. Finally, Jezebel, who's back in Jezreel, upon Jehu's arrival, is thrown out of the window by servants standing by her. And she dies, trampled by horses. Chapter 10 records Jehu following through on the destruction of Ahab's household, both as instructed at his anointing and as prophesied some years before by Elijah. He persuades the officials of Samaria, where 70 of Ahab's sons are living, to execute them, which they quickly do. Jehu continues his work until Ahab's house is obliterated. The final story in the chapter tells us that Jehu plans a great assembly in honor of Baal, filling the temple of Baal and then making sure that no one who serves the Lord is here with you only, servants of Baal. Jehu offers a sacrifice, then orders the guards and officers, go in and kill them, let no one escape. The temple and its sacred items are then destroyed, while Jehu, during his 28 reign in Israel, turns out to be a relatively courageous reformer, and God commends him for it. He, however, fails full reform, continuing to worship the golden calves set up years before by Jeroboam, son of Nebat. One additional note, and I quote, In those days the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Haziel overpowered the Israelites throughout their territory. Chapter 11, a chapter worth reading, tells the exciting story of young King Joash, Athaliah, daughter of either Omri or, more likely, Ahab. Both kings of Israel had married Jehoram, king of Judah. She gave birth to Ahaziah, the Judean king killed in chapter 9, as Jehu came to power in Israel. Hearing of the death of her son, Athaliah began to destroy the entire royal family in Judah, except one child, Joash, the son of Ahaziah's sister, is spared and hidden in the temple under the watchful care of priest Jehoiada. During Athaliah's six-year reign, this young royal-blooded boy remains in hiding. When he turns seven, priest Jehoiada lets the secret out and quickly crowns and anoints the young boy as king at the temple. The people are delighted, shouting, Long live the king! Athaliah, hearing the commotion, discovering what is happening, cries, Treason! Treason! But is quickly executed. Jehoiada then makes a covenant with the people to turn from Baal back to God. Following this, the young king is escorted to the palace where he begins his reign at only seven years of age. Chapter 12 informs us that Joash reigns for 40 years. As long as priest Jehoiada lived, Joash followed his counsel and did what was right, including collecting funds to restore the Temple of Solomon, which had been vandalized and fallen into disrepair. This collection takes some determined effort, which involves putting a collection chest with posted guard at the temple. The author of Second Kings goes out of the way to note that the temple repairmen were so honest that no accounting of the funds were required. The last part of the chapter reports two significant events. First, that Hazel came against Jerusalem, but is paid off by Joash. Second, that Joash is assassinated at Beth Mills, Ahaziah his son succeeding him. Chapter 13 reports on two kings of Israel, Jehoahaz and Joash. By the way, don't worry if you get those names mixed up. It's rather easy. Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, reigns in Israel for 17 years. His reign starts off poorly as he does what is evil and suffers under the power of Hazael, king of Aram. However, Jehoahaz turns to God and the Lord listens to him, for he saw how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. God provided deliverance, and Israel experienced a time of peace. However, 
They continued to worship the golden calves of Jeroboam as well as left the Asherah pole standing. It is also noted that Hazel of Aram nearly stripped Israel of military resources, leaving Jehoahaz with just 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. Upon Jehoahaz's death, his son Jehoash reigns in his place and does so for 16 years. He is an evil king. During Jehoash's reign, he learns that prophet Elisha is sick and dying. So he goes to visit. While there, the ailing prophet instructs the king to shoot an arrow, then saying, and I quote, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Jehoash is then told to shoot the ground, and he does three times and stops. The prophet angered turns to him, and I quote, you should have struck the ground five or six times, then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Shortly after, Elisha dies and is buried. What happens next is fascinating. And I'm quoting, Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. What a story. The rest of the chapter reports that in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, God is yet unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence on account of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Finally, it's reported that Jehoash has three significant victories against the Arameans and that Hazael, king of Aram, dies and is succeeded by his son. Chapter 14 tells of two more kings, the first, King Ahaziah, and the second, King Joram, the second of Israel. Amaziah is the son of Joash, succeeds his father as king of Judah, reigning in Jerusalem 29 years. He's a good king, though not as faithful as David. He simply follows in his father's footsteps. When his reign is established, he executes those involved in his father's assassination, those sparing their children, because he notes one should not bear their father's guilt. Amaziah has some military victories and then decides to go to war with Israel. He and his army suffer a humiliating defeat at the hands of the Israelite army. On top of that, the Israelite army breaks down part of the wall of Jerusalem and raids the temple and royal palace, as well as taking hostages. Jehoash, king of Israel, dies sometime late after, but Amaziah continues to reign in Judah. Finally, Amaziah is assassinated and his 16-year-old son, Azariah, is made king in his place. Again, by the way, don't uh, don't worry about getting the names mixed up. There are several kings with names that are quite similar. Jeroboam, the second son of Jehoash, reigns in Israel for 41 years from the royal palace of Samaria. While it's noted that he does evil, he also has some success in restoring Israel's boundaries from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. In fulfillment of the words of the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, the same Jonah with a book to his name, who's swallowed by a fish, will come to his story in a future episode. It's worth highlighting a few lines from the chapter revealing God's mercy on Israel. And now I quote, The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no, help, no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash.
Today's final chapter, chapter 15, reports on seven kings, two from Judah, Azariah and Jotham, and five from Israel, Zechariah, Shalem, Menahem, Pekahiah, and Pekah. Azariah, king of Judah, son of Amaziah, reigns in Jerusalem for 52 years, taking the throne at 16 after his father's assassination. As noted in the previous chapter, he follows in his father's footsteps, doing right, however. He contracts leprosy and lives in a separate house until his death, leaving his son Jotham as the acting king. Next, we come to a run of five kings in Israel. Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam II, who reigns for only six months, doing what's evil. Shalom assassinates him and takes the throne. This event completes the prophecy that Jehu's descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Shalom reigns for one month and is assassinated by Menahem. Menahem is a savage king and rules for 10 years. During his reign, Pul, king of Assyria, invades the land and Menahem pays him a thousand talents to withdraw. The Israelite king forces the wealthy to pay tribute to fund this appeasement money. Menahem apparently dies of natural causes and is succeeded by Pekahiah, his son, who reigns for two years. He also does what is evil and is assassinated by Pekah, one of his chief officers. Pekah reigns for 20 years and does what is evil. During his reign, Tiglath-Pilasar, king of Assyria, attacks Israel, taking several towns and deporting their residents to Assyria. Hoshea then assassinates Pekah and takes the throne. After this, the chapter returns to Judah and the reign of Jotham, who reigns for 16 years and does what is right. It should be noted that his father Uzziah is the same king mentioned in the beginning of the chapter named Azariah, who contracted leprosy. During his reign, he rebuilt the upper gate of the temple. During his reign as well, the Lord, and I'm quoting, began to send Rezin king of Aram and Pekah son of Remaliah against Judah. Jotham dies and his son Ahaz takes the throne. That's all for today.